0: Every so often, I meet people who tell me they are New Testament Christians, and they talk as if the Old Testament is practically irrelevant. The big question, of course, is why they even bother to buy Bibles that have both Testaments. So, today on The Voice of Prophecy, we'll ask the question, is the Old Testament irrelevant for New Testament Christians? Welcome to another edition of The Voice of Prophecy. I'm your host, my name is Sean Boonstra, and today I'm going to talk about these people out there who claim they are New Testament Christians. And of course, if you take that to mean people who believe in the New Testament, well then I'm also a New Testament Christian, because I happen to believe every single word of it. But that's not quite what I'm talking about. What I'm really getting at today is this whole idea that somehow the New Testament replaces the Old. That somehow the Old Testament has now become irrelevant in the New Testament era. You know, I remember back in the fifth grade, there was this well-known organization, you'd probably know who they are, and they used to come to our school and give out pocket New Testaments, at least before the days that everybody decided that handing out Bibles is somehow offensive and dangerous to children. But back in the old days, people didn't seem to mind. Even if you didn't happen to be a Christian, you could politely refuse and nobody would push it. It was just an organization that gave them out. And to this day, somewhere in this big pile of boxes in my basement, I still have that New Testament they gave me in the fifth grade. And I guess at the time, because I was ten years old, it didn't occur to me. But it occurs to me now that it's just a New Testament. The Old Testament is missing. And, and honestly, if I was introducing someone to the Bible for the first time, I'd probably start them in the New Testament. I'd probably start them in the Gospel accounts, maybe the book of Matthew or John. But, you know, the fact that we print so many New Testaments, stand-alone New Testaments, it's made me wonder over the years when exactly it was that we decided that the Old Testament was no longer important. At what point did we decide that the New Testament is now somehow more authoritative than the Old? Because even if you happen to have a complete copy of the Bible— there's still this unspoken feeling in modern Christianity that the Old Testament is just there for historical reference. It's a curiosity piece. Unless, of course, someone suddenly wants to take the Ten Commandments out of a courthouse here in America. Well, then everybody gets all bent out of shape, and the Old Testament suddenly is very, very important. But you know, other than those rare occasions, we as Christians have this tendency to treat the Old Testament like a second-class citizen. It's nice to have, but not really necessary. In fact, we sometimes even use the Old Testament to accuse each other as Christians of legalism. If you tell another Christian that he or she is an Old Testament Christian, you're basically calling them a legalist. What you're really trying to say is that that person is trying to earn his or her salvation through obedience. New Testament Christians, they say, are people who are saved by grace. But we have this unspoken assumption that anyone who goes by the Old Testament is trying to live in the age of law. We have this assumption that the believers who lived in Old Testament times, the characters in the Old Testament, they were somehow different than us. They had a less desirable, an inferior path to heaven, one that was based on works and achievement. But really, the only way you can come to that conclusion is to fail to read the whole Bible. If you go back and read the New Testament, and you really pay attention, you'll notice something interesting. A huge portion of the New Testament is made up of quotes from the Old. And that's because back in the first century, the Old Testament was the only Bible the Christian church had. By the middle of the first century, the Christians had some of Paul's letters, but the books of the New Testament were not really finished until almost 100 A.D., And that means, when you see a reference to Scripture in the New Testament, if they talk about Scripture, they're actually talking about the Old Testament, which was the Bible that Jesus used. When Jesus tells people to search the Scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. I mean, here's what he says. Listen to this. This is John 5, 39. Jesus says, "...you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me." And here's what it says a few verses later, in verse 46. Jesus says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. When Jesus was trying to explain his ministry, when he was trying to show his critics that he was Messiah, he pointed them to the words of the Old Testament. Now now think about this with me. If Jesus had intended to wipe away the Old Testament— abolish it, diminish its importance, you would expect him to say people could just ignore it. But that's not what he does. That's not what Jesus teaches. He points his whole audience to the Old Testament, which was, of course, the only Bible of the day. The Old Testament, you see, is not in conflict with the teachings of Jesus. Everything the Old Testament writers wrote was pointing forward to Christ. Every word of it. All of the Old Testament sacrifices, the sacrificial lambs, it all points to Jesus. The ceremonies and festivals were prophetic messages pointing forward to the work of Christ at the cross. And still, some people seem to think that Jesus tossed out the Old Testament. But if he actually did that, it would mean that the early church had no Bible for the first few critical decades of its existence. Now go back, read the New Testament carefully. The church was clearly born out of the words of the Old Testament. The authors of the New Testament base all their arguments for the divinity of Christ completely on the authority of Old Testament prophets. I mean, listen to what Paul writes to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to this, it's verse 14 of chapter 3. But you, he's speaking to Timothy, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures. Now, now which scriptures would those be? Which Bible would Timothy know from his childhood? It's obviously the Old Testament. Now, listen to what Paul says as he continues his appeal. He says that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, that's the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, verse 16, and again this is the Old Testament he's talking about, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to pay attention carefully. There is no hint anywhere in the New Testament that God intended to demote the Old Testament or remove it or somehow discount what it says. Now, I'm about to go and take a short break because we have to, and I want you to hear about our Discover Bible School. But when we come back, I want to show you how things went wrong over the years. I want to show you why it is that we now seem to think that the Old Testament is an inferior product to the New. So I want you to hang tight for a moment, and I'll be right back.
1: Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Like where is God when people suffer? Or can I find real happiness? And is there any hope for our chaotic world? Are you searching for answers to these and other of life's biggest questions? Well, the Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. You can choose to study in the format that's most convenient for you. You may either do the lessons completely online or have them mailed right to your home. Both options are completely free of charge. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.
0: Okay, we are back from the break. You are listening to The Voice of Prophecy. My name is Sean Boonstra, and today I'm talking about Old Testament versus New Testament, and why it is that some people seem to think that the Old Testament has been discounted or devalued in the New Testament era. And I guess what it all boils down to is this whole idea that something radically changed at the cross of Christ. That somehow, the terms of human salvation completely changed when Jesus died on the cross. Let me give you an example of the kind of thinking I'm talking about. I'm going to read you something that comes from a popular handbook on Bible prophecy. And it's a book that sold a lot of copies when it came out. And for the most part, I don't have any quibble with the book, with the author, because I happen to know that the author really is a born-again, Bible-believing Christian. When it comes to how a person is reconciled with God and forgiven for his or her sins, I think the author is right on target, except for one little detail. The author seems to suggest at one point, and remember this was a really popular book, he suggests that in the Old Testament era, people were saved on different terms than believers in the New Testament era. I'll read you a paragraph, and then I want to analyze it biblically with you. And the reason I'm doing this is not to pick on the author, but just because this kind of thinking is so prevalent, and it's not biblical. So here we go from a very popular handbook on prophecy, and it really doesn't matter who wrote it. It just matters that this kind of thinking is in circulation. Here's the quote now. Quote, when he, as God's only begotten son, gave himself to die on that cross for the sins of the whole world, he ended the age of law and introduced the age of grace. Unquote. Now, right there in that statement, there's this distinction between Old Testament belief and New Testament belief. Before the cross, this guy says, you had the age of law. And after the cross, you now have the age of grace. And and what he's saying, if you take this to its logical conclusion, is that there are two different methods of salvation. And his very next sentence confirms it. I mean, listen to this. He continues, From that time on, Individuals have been able to be eternally saved through faith by repenting of their sins and calling on Christ to save them. That is why it is called the Age of Grace. Now, I want you to think about what he just said for a moment. If that sentence is true, then it's only after the cross that people could repent of their sins and actually call on Christ. But, you know, clearly that's not true. I mean, read the New Testament carefully, and you'll discover that there has never been a second path of salvation. The Bible doesn't teach millions of paths to God, or hundreds of paths. It doesn't even teach two. There's only one path to heaven, and that path is Jesus Christ. And He was the path for Old Testament believers just as much as He is for us living in the New Testament period. In the book of Acts, Peter tells us point-blank, and here's the quote, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You and I like to think that the notion of salvation by faith in Christ is only a New Testament concept, that that only came into play after the death and resurrection of Christ, and we often appeal to Romans 1, verse 17, where the Bible says, The just shall live by faith. And we point to that because that was the verse that launched the Protestant Reformation. It was the verse that popped into Martin Luther's mind as he crawled up the steps of the Scala Sancta in Rome. Luther suddenly connected the dots with that verse. He came to the realization that you cannot be saved by your own effort. You must rely on the merits of Christ because you and I don't have any merit of our own. We can't buy our salvation. But, you know, the way that modern Christians talk about that verse in Romans, you'd think that righteousness by faith was strictly a New Testament concept. All oh, those poor Old Testament believers, we say. They had to earn favor with God. They had to keep the law to make things right. They were slaves to the rites and rituals of the temple. But let me ask you this. Where does the Bible teach that? You know, when Paul says the just shall live by faith, he's actually quoting the Old Testament. It comes from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2 and verse 4, where the Bible says, In the Old Testament, the just shall live by his faith. Listen to me carefully. Salvation by grace through faith is Old Testament thinking. Look, if you read the whole Bible, and I mean really pay attention to the details, you'll discover that every generation of believers, from Abraham to Paul, has always been saved exactly the same way. No single human being has ever earned salvation. No human being has ever worked his or her way into God's kingdom. It has always been by faith. And all that stuff in the Old Testament, the rites and the rituals, all of it was pointing forward to Jesus. Those people living back then were looking forward by faith to the sacrifice of Christ, the same way we now look back by faith to the cross. In the Old Testament, the cross hadn't happened yet. It was still in the future. So what God did was give those people tangible, hands-on object lessons to show them what was coming in Jesus. So when you offered a lamb at Passover, the message wasn't that animal sacrifices could somehow save you. The lesson was that the Lamb of God would come to take away the sins of the world. The lesson was that the wages of sin is death. The lesson was that God has a plan to save you from paying the wages of sin yourself. But go back and read it all, and read it carefully. It has always been by faith, even in the Old Testament. How do I know? I mean, how do I know those sacrifices weren't what saved those people? Well, the author of the book of Hebrews tells us. I mean, he says it point blank. Hebrews 10, verse 4. It is not possible, he says, that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. There you have it. The sacrifices didn't save people. Those animals were just a symbol, a way for sinful people to express faith in what Jesus would do for them one day when he finally came to this planet. You know, there, there's a good reason that Abraham is not called the father of works, he's called the father of faith. He's not called the father of legalism, he's the father of faith, because he was saved exactly the same way we are. I mean, just just listen to what Paul writes in his landmark book on the subject of faith. This is Romans 4 and verse 2. Listen carefully. Paul says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? And, of course, when Paul says Scripture, he means the Old Testament. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Did you catch it? I mean, Abraham didn't make himself righteous. He was counted righteous. It was salvation by grace through faith. The whole argument that Paul makes is that you and I are saved exactly the same way Abraham was. There has never, ever, ever been another way to heaven. There has never been a dispensation where you were saved just by keeping God's law. It has always been by grace through faith, every single time. Now, even though Abraham was saved by faith, we probably shouldn't miss the point that Abraham was also obedient to God. He did what God asked. And because of that, some people have jumped to the conclusion that Abraham was justified or made right with God because he obeyed God, that somehow he was earning his salvation. And there's a passage that seems to say that. It comes from Genesis 26, verse 5. It clearly points out that God would bless Israel if Abraham was obedient. It says, Because Abraham, this is Genesis 26, verse 5, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. There's no question about it. Abraham was obedient, and God liked that. He kept God's law. But Paul is still exceptionally clear, at the very same time, that Abraham wasn't justified because of his obedience. Obedience wasn't the legal basis for his salvation. Abraham didn't keep God's law because he was working his way to heaven. He did it because he loved God. He was in harmony with God which is the same reason that you and I live in obedience to Christ. I mean, don't forget, Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. In the Old Testament, people were saved by grace through faith in the coming work of Messiah at the cross. And in the New Testament, you and I are saved by faith in the accomplished work of Messiah at that very same cross. In the Old Testament, they kept God's moral law because they were forgiven. And in the New Testament, you and I are obedient, or at least we should be, because of the love and gratitude we have towards God for the amazing thing He's done for us. That's the reason that the book of Revelation, chapter 14, portrays God's last day people as those who, and and now listen to this carefully, this is the New Testament, it describes God's last day people as those who, quote, keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. You see, God's people have always been saved by grace through faith. And God's people have always obeyed Him. It's really pretty simple. Every single sinner's debt was paid by the Lamb of God, Old Testament or New Testament. And according to the book of Hebrews 5, verse 9, Jesus has become, quote, the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey Him. Now, that's the New Testament. It's not a matter of believe or obey. This is a matter of believe and then obey. Your obedience will not pay your debt of sin. Only the blood of Christ can do that. But salvation by grace doesn't mean that you and I don't have to obey God. Obedience is still the baseline of what God expects from the human race. It's a little like committing a murder. Now, you and I would never do that, but let's think in those terms. Let's say you killed somebody. You're never ever going to convince the judge not to convict you just by promising not to murder again. You still have to deal with your crime. You still have to pay the price for what you've done. And if you happen to get a pardon you don't deserve, if the judge somehow lets you walk, you're still expected to stop murdering. Not as a way to pay off your debt to society, but as a baseline expectation for people who live in a civilized world. And the same is true with God. There is a baseline for acceptable behavior. So, where do we get this idea that the Old Testament has now been abolished? That somehow the terms of salvation are now different? Because I'm telling you, some people really do teach that. I've heard it my whole life. Well, what I'm going to do is take a short break, and then I'm going to come back and try to explain this. So listen to this amazing offer from The Voice of Prophecy, and then I'll come right back.
1: Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Are you searching for answers to some of life's biggest questions? Well, the Discover Bible Guides can help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or call us at 888 888- Four five six seven nine three three for your free Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.
0: Okay, we are back from our break. This is The Voice of Prophecy. My name is Sean Boonstra, and today I'm talking about what changed the day Jesus died. Now, some people seem to think that the terms and conditions for salvation changed. But we've already discovered that's not true according to the Old Testament. All of the sacrifices, all of the rites and rituals associated with the temple, it was all symbolic, pointing the believer forward to the saving work of Jesus. And you know, what you're going to find, if you study this carefully, if you read the whole Bible, what you're going to find is that there were actually several different laws described in the Old Testament. Now, some of them had to do with health and hygiene. And other laws had to do with civil society and organizing a nation, making it functional. They were sort of management rules. But there were two main categories of that law that really come into play when you want to understand what exactly changed the day Jesus died. The Ten Commandments, those were God's moral law. You know, you shall not kill, you shall not steal. Stuff that has always been wrong for all people living at all times. Now, that law, the moral law, was written on tables of stone by the finger of God himself, and it was kept inside the Ark of the Covenant. But there was another law that was written in scrolls by human scribes, and that law described the sacrificial system. It described how to sacrifice animals, how to keep the feasts, how to run the temple. And the Bible says that law was not kept inside the Ark, it was kept beside the Ark. So you really had two key laws when it came to the whole plan of salvation. There was God's eternal moral principles of the Ten Commandments, and then there was the ceremonial law that described how the children of Israel were supposed to practice their faith as they were waiting for Messiah to come. Now, the day Jesus died, the Bible says an unseen hand suddenly reaches into the temple and rips the veil in two, signaling that the sacrificial system was over. And why was it over? Because the real Lamb of God had come. You didn't need the sacrifices anymore because you had the real Lamb. The symbolism wasn't needed anymore. So think about the ceremonial system, the laws that regulated those sacrifices as an airplane boarding pass. A boarding pass is not an airplane trip. It's a promise of one. It's a symbol. And the minute you're on the plane and the plane takes off, you don't need the boarding pass anymore. You can just rip it up because you have the real thing. The ceremonial system was a boarding pass. You needed it right up to the moment that the plane took off. You needed it right until the Lamb of God came and gave His life for us. And that's what changed at the cross. God's moral standards didn't change because God himself can't change. In fact, John says in the New Testament that sin is still, in the New Testament era, a transgression of God's law. And Jesus said not one jot or one tittle would pass from the law as long as the heavens and the earth are still in existence. God's moral law doesn't change. But the ceremonial law did change. We don't need it anymore. We don't need the sacrifices now that Jesus has died. But the moral law? Yeah, it's still there. And this is really where all the confusion comes from. We've convinced ourselves that the terms of God's covenant have changed. We've convinced ourselves that people in the Old Testament had a religion of legalism. And we've started to discount the Old Testament as something less than the New. And in doing that, let me tell you, you're missing out on two-thirds of what the Bible teaches. Now, the ceremonial law, that did change. Our focus now is on the actual cross of Christ, not the symbols that pointed forward to it. Now, you can still learn a lot by studying those symbols, but we don't need the rites and the rituals and the sacrifices anymore. That did change. You know, the sad thing is, if you're not reading the Old Testament, you really don't understand the New. Because if you remember from earlier in our program, we discussed the fact that the authors of the New Testament continually pointed the readers back to the Old. I mean, even after his resurrection, when Jesus meets the two men on the road to Emmaus, I mean, he could have just revealed himself, but instead he chooses to give those guys a Bible study out of the Old Testament, which of course was the only Bible of the day beginning at Moses and all the prophets it says in Luke 24 Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures and that's the Old Testament in all the scriptures the things concerning himself the Old Testament is a picture of Jesus. In Luke 16, Jesus says to the Pharisees that if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe even if someone comes back from the dead. In John chapter 1, Philip says to Nathanael, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Go through the New Testament. Read it carefully, and it becomes obvious that you can't really understand the life and teachings of Jesus unless you compare it to what the Bible says about Jesus in the Old Testament. So I guess my whole appeal to you is this. It's really time for Christians to start reading the whole book again. And, and pay attention to all those little footnotes in the margins, the ones that point you back to the Old Testament when you're reading the New. I think it's going to blow you away just how much clearer the whole Bible becomes if you read the whole thing. I mean, right now, especially in the last century and a half or so, we have a lot of really strange and novel ideas showing up in Christian belief because we've lost the all-important context of the Old Testament. Testament. We're making the New Testament say stuff that the authors never intended. Read it all, and your picture of Jesus will be bigger than you ever dreamed possible. Because the whole book is all about Jesus. And now, I'm completely out of time, so let me thank you for listening. I'm Sean Boonstra, and you've been listening to The Voice of Prophecy.
1: Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions, like where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness, or is there any hope for our chaotic world? Are you searching for answers to these and other of life's most challenging questions? Well, the Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888 456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home There is never a cost or obligation The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you You'll find answers to the things that matter the most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.